the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. After the hour of 10 o'clock, as we continue into the second hour of the broadcast this morning, it's a Thursday, the sixth morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Appreciate you being with us. Oh, my gosh, I just had a very strange flashback. Did I say 2019 at the top of the show today? Did you ever do that? You ever say something at one point, and then it just it, it gives you this deja vu that, uh-oh, I may have said that wrong before. For some strange reason, I had this weird uh, inkling that I may have said it wrong at the top, because I was so giddy as I started the show today, the way I'm going to start this hour of the broadcast, with a celebration, of course, much more... Uh, much more abbreviated version of it, by the way, as we get to Dr. Everett Piper. But I am celebrating, you should be celebrating... The victory of justice over deceit, deception, and Democrats, which, of course, repeats itself. 52 to 48. Unobstruction of power. 53 to 47. I'm sorry, abuse of power. 53 to 47 on obstruction of Congress. It's easy to mix the two up because neither one of them are actual crimes, much less high crimes and misdemeanors. It was one of the most embarrassing, partisan, political acts uh, in uh, in the history of the Republic. So we celebrated yesterday at 4 o'clock when we heard the vote totals. They came 20 votes short of removing the president. We celebrated last night at a phenomenal acquittal party out at the Time Warp Bar in Westlake. I want to thanks, say thanks again to every patriot who came out last night. There's a lot of great video and photographs of the event uh, last night, which was just pulled together, I mean, at a moment's notice. It was off the cuff to have our acquittal party. So with zero promotion other than me mentioning it on this show on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, we had a jammed house. It was a tremendous time last night celebrating with patriots uh, victory for the president and for the presidency. And there are a lot of photographs... And uh, 
uh, videos that are now on my Facebook page. People are sending them there, and that's where they're collecting. So if uh, you want to check our Facebook page, you can see what you missed last night. All right, with that. Uh, time now to say good morning to our friend, Dr. Everett Piper, who, of course, is our regular Thursday guest. He is a best-selling author. He is a highly sought-after speaker. He is a columnist for the Washington Times, and he is the past president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Dr. Piper, good to have you back on the air. Good morning, my friend. Hey, Bob. I've only got one concern. I wasn't invited to the party. I didn't <laughs> the yeah, well, your, your, your invitation must have gotten lost somewhere between Ohio and Oklahoma. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Somewhere in the wagon train between there and here. I don't know. <laughs> it would have been wonderful to see you, though, at an event like this. But, uh, no, it was, you know, it's really, it was really kind of funny, uh, Dr. Piper. I just kind of said on Monday, as I was previewing the week to come, that the president's impeachment and slash acquittal vote will be on Wednesday. And I said, and after that's over, there will be an acquittal party. I just kind of said we should get together and do that. I didn't really mean for it to happen. But then I got a phone call or two from a couple of people in the right places, said let's find a place and do it. And a couple hundred people jammed into this uh, small bar uh yesterday and we celebrated and uh we uh we joined um uh minority leader kevin mccarthy in tearing into a la nancy pelosi the nine page articles of impeachment that i printed directly from the house of representatives website so uh it was a wonderful time i really wish you could have been there well next time i expect an invitation Yes, sir. I will may I will get on that. Uh Dr. Piper, let's let's start um with what I just mentioned. Um and that is with Nancy Pelosi. Um the, the you know, you're a man of faith. Uh and, and we talk a lot about matters of faith. You quote the Bible on a regular basis. You talk about biblical history and apply it to modern day issues. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love having you on. I think that's why people love listening to you. And so as a man of faith um, and such a deep religious background, I want you to speak to Nancy Pelosi, who said in front of every microphone she could find in the weeks leading up to the impeachment charade, that they undertook those uh, steps solemnly, prayerfully, uh, and with no uh, happiness, in fact, with sadness because of what this means for our country. We didn't want to have to do anything like this. And she said that, no, I don't hate Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, I don't hate anybody. My faith prohibits me from hatred. And she said, I pray for the president regularly. And I want you to contrast those statements, Dr. Piper, with the same woman who made them, gleefully smiling and holding that signing ceremony with her specially monogrammed Nancy Pelosi pens, which I'm sure you can get on eBay now for about 95 cents. But she she celebrated this solemn, prayerful occasion. And then, of course, Tuesday night, as the president delivered a wonderfully forward-thinking, positive, celebratory speech about the greatness of our country, she sat there and, and, and acted like a petulant child throughout the entirety of the event before, as you know, tearing this president's speech in half on live television. Um, can, you, can you tell me what that really says about this woman's faith, that contradiction, that hypocrisy? You know, I've heard it said over and over again, Bob, that you always watch what someone does don't listen to what they say. One more time. Always watch what they do. Don't listen to what they say. And the fact of the matter is, you know, words are cheap. Um, lots of people can say things for political expediency, for power, for the sake of just looking good at a given time in a given place. That's the nature of the human being. We're all guilty of that. We should all be judged by our actions more than our words. So let's look at Nancy Pelosi. You know, she talks about the fact that, well, I was raised Catholic. I don't hate anybody. But yet, like you just said, 
she sits there for that entire speech like a petulant child, perfect description, because she's demonstrating her immaturity. She's demonstrating the fact that she's more of a spoiled teenager than a mature adult. She's demonstrating the fact that she's not getting her way, so she refuses to even look up. She's constantly jawing about on whatever she's got in her mouth and whatever contorts her face the way it does. And I'm not trying to be cruel, but it's just a fact. Her face is in constant contortions. You almost think that you're watching J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and Gollum growling gutturally as he's trying to decide how to reach for the ring of power. My precious. You can almost hear her growling that way as you sit there and watch her sitting behind the president. And then to watch her tear up the speech. I mean, it's been said. I don't know that I can add any more. She's tearing up the fact that unemployment is at its lowest in decades. She's tearing up the fact that blacks are more employed today than ever before in U.S. history. Likewise, Hispanics. Likewise, um, uh, other minority bases. She's tearing up the fact that Donald Trump just defended the dignity of the unborn child and the First Amendment right to the freedom of religion. She's tearing up all of that in front of us because she doesn't care about those things. She cares about her power. Now, you tell me how that's consistent with Christian doctrine, Christian dogma, the orthodoxy of our faith, and being raised as a Catholic, and I don't hate anybody. Actions always speak louder than words. Listen to their actions, pay attention to them, don't listen to their words. That is... uh... That is a great uh, analysis and great advice. Look at what they do rather than listen to what they say. And with that in mind, let me ask you about another uh, person using their faith to cover their own actions. You realize this is war. Donald Trump will never forgive you for this. There's a, uh, there's a hymn that is uh, sung in my church. It's an old Protestant hymn, which is, uh, Do what is right, let the consequence follow. Uh, I know in my heart that I'm doing what's right. I understand there's going to be enormous consequence. And, uh, and I don't have a choice in that regard. That's why, that's why I haven't um, uh, been anxious to be in the position I'm in. Mitt Romney blanketed his decision to stab Donald Trump in the back um, and to betray a man who endorsed him not once but twice, once for president in 2012, once for senator when he begged for it in 2018. He is, um, he is blanketing his betrayal in his faith, saying he had no choice. His faith compelled him to act this way. And you say what, Dr. Piper? Well, first of all, I'd like to ask Mr. Romney or anybody else that feels it was important to vote for impeachment to remove the President of the United States from office. What crime did he commit? What misdemeanor did he commit? What high crime did he commit? What act of treason did he commit? Please show me the facts of the crime that would result in you having to vote for his removal for office from office. Now, obviously, there is none. So I don't understand how anybody could claim that their faith I don't care whether it's Catholicism, I don't care whether it's Buddhism, Baptism, whether you're ecumenical or whether you're, uh, whether you're atheist, whether you're Ang- Anglican or whether you're Anabaptist. I don't care. You show me in your faith, in your quote-unquote religion, where it requires you to remove a president of the United States in extra-constitutional means because he didn't commit a crime. There is none. So I don't understand the moral high ground that he claims 
to have. I also don't understand the moral equivalency that he's claiming or inferring here. He somehow is suggesting that giving power to the Democrats, giving power over to the Democratic Party, which stands for the oppression of religious freedom, the degradation of the human body, the elimination of our youngest children, the bastardization of our Constitution, he's suggesting that somehow, by doing this, giving that party more power to continue its oppression, to continue its diminishment of human freedom, human dignity, and human rights, is a moral good, and that's within the boundaries of his faith, and God is calling upon him to do that? I don't understand that. I don't want to diminish anybody's conscience, but I'd like to ask some basic questions. Please explain these things to me, Mr. Romney. Great questions, of course, for which there would be no answer, because he is not acting on his conscience. He is acting with political spite, and we all know about the long um, a feud that he has ha- had uh, with Donald Trump, political feud. It goes back years and years and years, and this was his opportunity to get the final blow in, and as he saw it, against a political rival, a man uh, that he simply despises. And he just so hip- hypocritically uh, took and ran with his endorsements uh, for his various runs for office. Dr. Every Piper is our guest. We're going to talk a little bit more. Uh, should Mitt Romney just go ahead and party switch? Should he just go ahead and declare himself a Democrat the way former conservative Republican Bill Kristol of National Review did when he became a never-Trumper and now has become a Democrat? We're going to talk a little bit more with Dr. Piper about that right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. They tried. They could not lay a finger on him, though. President Trump acquitted overwhelmingly, as expected. Uh, don't feel bad, Democrats. You only came about 20 votes short of, uh, of your goal. 1024 as we continue. Now, Dr. Everett Piper continues with us. Dr. Piper, I want to talk about a tweet that you sent uh, back on Sunday, four days ago, and it was in response to... Um, uh, Bill Crystal, uh, former conservative Republican, uh, worked with the National Review for a very long time, and uh, now is the director of something called Demending, Defending Democracy Together. He tweeted, uh, not presumably forever, and not perhaps for a day after November 3rd, 2020, not on every issue or in every way until then, but for the time being, one has to say, we are all Democrats now. He is becoming a Democrat. Your tweet in response to that was, it is stunning that Bill Kristol actually thinks that the party of Ilhan Omar, AOC, and Rashida Tlaib is more favorable than being, or than that of Donald Trump. Socialism over a free republic? Stunning. Dr. Piper, I'm going to ask you to go deeper on that because I, I want people to understand that even if you don't like everything about Donald Trump's personality, are you really willing to cast your lot with the individuals just mentioned in your tweet? Dr. Piper, go ahead. Again, it's an argument of moral equivalency. It's a suggestion that somehow whatever Donald Trump's um, picadillos are, whatever the things are that he says in a tweet, and however he behaves, that you find offensive, that those things somehow, no pun intended, trump all of the moral goods in the Republican Party platform. In the United States, we do not vote for a king. Frankly, the person doesn't matter. 
The principles matter. We vote for a constitution. We don't vote for a king. We vote for principles, not a personality. And for Bill Crystal to somehow dumb down the principles of the Republican Party platform to being morally equal with those of the Democrat platform is stunning because this man is supposedly a paragon of conservatism. He was the co-editor and publisher of the, uh, uh, not National Review, the um, Weekly Standard. Oh, Weekly Standard. Thank you. Correct. I apologize. That is exactly what I meant. Thank you. So it was a magazine I used to subscribe to. I used to listen to Bill Crystal and Fred Barnes and the others. I thought they believed in conserving things because they were conservatives. I thought they believed in first things, first principles, the Constitution, and those things that are self-evident and immutable, the time-tested truths of God. I thought those things were important, but now he says, because he has such distaste for Donald Trump's personality and his picadillos, that he's now a Democrat embracing abortion, embracing the LGBTQ rainbow agenda, embracing the oppression of religious freedom, embracing Nancy Pelosi as she tears the president's speech in half, embracing a party that can't manage its way out of the paper bag. My land, I'd rather have a second-rate wedding planner managing the Iowa caucus than the Democratic Party. (laughs) And Bill Kristol is going to embrace that party for what reason? He obviously has no, no core and no first principles that are governing his decisions. I'm glad you just ran through that list at the end there because I was going to challenge you on your statement that he is making a moral equivalency between the conservative movement and the Democrat Party he now belongs to, but he isn't. He's actually claiming moral superiority because he's choosing that that side over you know his former side, the conservative Republican side. So he really thinks they're better than those uh, you know the the side of the political aisle or ideological scale uh, on which Donald Trump and his supporters reside. So I'm glad you listed the things. He does. He thinks those things are better, superior to what are on the uh, uh, conservative side. Lastly, i uh, got two minutes here, Dr. Piper. I want to talk about your column for the Washington Times. Uh, and I'm just going to let you pick this up because I don't have time for an extended question here about uh, federally funded abortion. Okay. Uh, my article in the Washington Times this week actually preceded all this democratic lunacy with the exception of the argument of abortion. Mm-hmm. We've got a man named Kenneth Ross who was called to testify to the United States Commission on unalienable rights that are endowed to us by who? Our creator. Well, Kenneth Roth is an atheist. He works for an organization euphemistically called the Human Rights Watch, and he argued that abortion is a right that anyone has for any reason, anytime they want it or need it. He then proceeded to tell us that abortions would save millions of lives. Do you hear Orwell chuckling in the background when you hear this type of nonsense? He then tells us that religious freedom is only the freedom to believe, not the freedom to behave accordingly in the public square. He then goes on to tell us that the United Nations and an international court should always trump a constitutionally sovereign nation because it is international law that is made to restrain given government. In other words, oh, and he also says this, Bob, It's only a philosophical argument when you argue for the dignity of all persons created in the image of God. This man is exactly the face of the Democratic Party. They are reaching for power. I conclude my piece by saying this. 
The party seeks power entirely for its own sake. We know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. Power is not a means, it is an end. One does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. One makes a revolution in order to establish a dictatorship. If you want a vision of the future, imagine a boot stamping on the human face forever. And those words that I just uttered are quotes from George Orwell in 1984. If that doesn't describe our Democrat Party today, I don't know what does. Very, very well done. And uh, Kenneth Roth, it should be pointed out again, if you don't know who he is, the man that uh, uh, Dr. Piper just described and discussed, he's the president of an organization called the Human Rights Watch. Human Rights Watch, and uh, as uh, Dr. Piper said, he testified before the U.S. Commission on Unalienable Rights. You talk about a dangerous man to have influence over our Congress or over our elected officials. It doesn't get much more dangerous than that. Dr. Piper, perhaps next week we can talk about that in more depth, but we are out of time right now. Thank you so much for another a great visit. Blessings. Thank you so much, Dr. Everett Piper. All right, it's 1031. We're going to get to the news. And on the flip side of the news, we're going to talk about social media. Why? Well, because quite frankly, it is impacting the way Americans decide how to live. And they have far too much power in Silicon Valley. Peter Hassan, investigative reporter, is going to be joining us to talk about his new book, The Manipulators. Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Big Tech's War on conservatives. That's next on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty six. we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer, on a glorious celebratory Victory Thursday. Yeah, I don't normally say Victory Thursday kind of a term uh, NFL teams use on uh, Mondays. If they win their game on Sunday, they have Victory Monday. It's a little bit of a lighter practice, or maybe it's a day off or whatever. Uh, but no, it's Victory Thursday today, and it's a victory, of course, not just for President Trump, but it's a victory yesterday in the acquittal for the presidency. Big picture. Uh, long-term thinking here. It is a huge victory. If you remove a president for the first time ever on partisan, 100% partisan articles of impeachment, by the way, it's the exact opposite of what the founders intended, and the repercussions would have been devastating for generations to come. So huge victory for the presidency and for the rule of law yesterday. Let's pivot from that celebration out of something that's a little bit more concerning. And that is the losses that we, as conservative-minded people, believers in free speech, believers in free religion, free expression, etc., uh, we continue to take losses from big tech. Uh, we talk about this on a regular basis. Almost every time I tell you to follow me on Facebook and Twitter, and I give you that handle, France Radio, I follow it with an apology because I am part of the problem. I am participating in this. But as I've said, sometimes you have to dance with the devil, and you do. If we don't use those platforms, we surrender the massive reach that they have to the left. They're run by the left, and they know full well that the only thing we can do is fight them back on their ground. And so in response, they limit our ability to do so. They censor us. And that's where we come in now with uh, intrepid reporter Peter Hassan, who is the author of a new book, Blowing the Lid Off of Big Tech's Desire to Silence Conservatives and Publish Their uh, Leftist Garbage. It's called The Manipulators, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Big Tech's War on Conservatives. Peter Hassan joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks very much for your time, Peter. How are you? Absolutely, and thank you for um, having me on the show. I'm doing well. Thank you. Do you use Twitter and Facebook and Google? Google. I do, I do. Um, I use uh, all three of them uh, quite often. Um, 
Do you feel um, strange about that? Because of what your book is about, and it's what I talk about on a regular basis, I feel so bizarre promoting and pushing platforms that are so devastating to free speech in the United States. And and yet I kind of feel like we don't have a choice, do we? No, not, you know, at least not at the moment. Um, and, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it's kind of been a double-edged sword um, uh, because these tech companies have, have allowed, you know, at least before they started becoming more and more biased and more and more you know, partisan, they did allow conserv- conservatives a way to, to really kind of, you know, um, outflank the mainstream, you know, biased uh, uh, outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you you could uh, you could share something on Facebook that could go viral, and then people don't need to get their information from the Washington Post or CNN's Jim Acosta or you know anybody like that. And so that was what uh, uh, these platforms originally offered conservatives, which is the same thing that they offered everybody else—a way to kind of spread information. Um, and to really connect with other people like you. Now, now um, these platforms are really uh, uh, becoming tools for partisan control. And, and that's, you know, and as I lay out in the book, I mean, based on the you know, interviews and documents and whatnot, these companies are really just now becoming an extension of the, the mainstream media bubble. Um, and that's on purpose. And it's, it's, it's a really disturbing story. And I hope people check it out because if you care about conservative ideas, you know, you should care about, um, these massively powerful companies doing everything they can to strangle those ideas. We are talking with Peter Hassan. He is an author and a, and a reporter. He's got a book out called The Manipulators, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Big Tech's War on Conservatives. And you're 100% right. They have indeed become just branches of the mainstream media. And, and I want to talk about how they do that. And let's start with Google and search results. Again, this is a complaint that I have had for a long time. Uh, and, and a lot of people have come back to me and said there are better browsers. There are different browsers. And there are. Bing is a good browser, I suppose. The one that I use now in terms of search uh, engines is, uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking browsers. I mean to say search engines. Um, uh, DuckDuckGo is a search en- mm-hmm. engine that a lot of people turn to. It's one that I use now. But the truth of the matter is Google is so much bigger and seems to have so much more reach that Google has become a verb. Nobody says, let's DuckDuckGo that. They say, let's Google that to see what the facts are. They have a huge head start in this race for control of information. Now, your book talks about how they skew search results and fact checks in favor of, of left-wing ideas. Can you explain more? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, you know, one of the biggest ways that, that Google has really changed since 2016 um, is, is they've really kind of overhauled their search algorithm. And so now... Um, what their algorithms do is, is, is two things. One, they prioritize, you know, these biased mainstream outlets, um, uh, in the search. And so it means you're, um, a, if you're an outlet like the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN, 
you're going to have a much better chance of being at the top of search. Whereas if you're uh, uh, an outlet like the Daily Caller or, or, or Breitbart or you know some, anybody else, your your chances of being even on the even you know, on the first page, you know, uh, are, are, are low. And ninety five percent of people don't click past the first page of search. And so, in essence, what these companies are doing is really just filtering all of their traffic through these mainstream companies. Um, and, and that's on purpose, you know. And so, I, I obtained documents in the book um, that show that you know after after Trump's election. Google employees were looking for ways to prevent that from happening again. And the first thing that they turned to was, okay, we need to change the, the, we need to change the search function. Um, and so I've been documents showing employees saying, well, you know, we should bury the daily, daily caller. We should bury Breitbart. And as a direct response to Trump's election, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's them saying it in their own words, um, as, as I show in the book. Peter, let me let me jump a little bit into that a little bit more, um, and, and I want to talk about the big tech companies that you you name in the title. Uh, you know, Facebook, Google, Twitter, uh, and how their employees actually collude with liberal journalists. And left-wing activist groups. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you have evidence of that in the book. It's not, because a lot of us have said that. Um, yeah. the things that they'll do to try to, as you said, bury the Daily Caller, Breitbart, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's not accidental and it's not just all kept and contained within their own walls. They actually have an ongoing mm-hmm. relationship with liberal journalists in order to push what they want pushed and censor, shadow ban, bury, whatever you want to call it, uh, things that, uh, go against their narrative. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of these, you know, left-wing journalists really kind of serve as, as the, the uh, I guess, like, spotters for, the, for these uh, tech companies, you know. And so they'll, they'll go to Google or Facebook and say, hey, you know, that outfit's getting a lot of, a lot of attention. You know, are you sure that they're complying with all your rules or are you sure, you know, that, you know, and then of course things change. So to give an example, um, I've seen documents showing that, you know, um, uh, uh, Google's, you know, their, um, talking points on, you know, demonetizing, uh, um, uh, you know, content is, is, is really, is really just not true. You know, the way that they've portrayed things, um, they make like, you know, uh, demonetizing videos on YouTube. They, they portrayed that as something separate from, uh, PR concerns. And I've seen documents showing, you know, that, uh, um, uh, <laughs> showing that, that, you know, Google and YouTube's PR team, actually make censorship calls. And so, for example, I found a video of, or not video, um, um, of documents of a 
journalist at The Guardian, which is a British... Right. British tabloid. Publication. Yeah, tabloid publication. uh, I'm emailing uh, uh, Google and saying, hey, these videos on YouTube are are offensive to me. You know, what are you guys going to do about it? And then the PR team turned around and ordered the videos to be demonetized, which is... (laughs) Is not is not how how at all Google has portrayed the process. They've made it seem like oh well, if our content monitors stumble upon something, and also you know, uh, they'll, they'll make an objective call. But that's not how it works. Reality is journalists at these you know biased outlets telling uh, uh, telling these companies what they want censored or suppressed and they comply that happens time and time and time again and it, it, it's it's really uh you know it's it's really something that is concerning it should you know uh bother bother a lot of people who, who have concerns about this same biased outlets um, Peter Hassan is our guest here. Last thing, because we're a little short on time here, but I just want to ask you about what conservatives can do. I know you cover in the book why conservatives need to form big opposition to big tech, but the question is, is how? Is it about creating other platforms? Is it about, because I know there are some. I mean, we talk, I talk all the time about parlor.com, which is a, uh, you know, a censorship free type of Twitter. But of course it is just a tiny blip in terms of its, its, uh, scale in the American public. So what can conservatives do to, to put together that big opposition to a, to a, you know, a, a, an industry, big tech that has such a massive lead before we even get out of the blocks? Yeah. I mean, it's, definitely an uphill battle uh um but you know the the um the number one most important thing service can do is to keep supporting you know the these uh uh independent voices you know like your show um or or conservative outlets um and then and then two and you know as i say in the book conservatives need to make it hurt you know so Mm -hmm. They need to really start putting a damage, uh, putting damage into these companies. Uh, uh, they need to start causing PR problems for these companies because that's all they care about is their public image. And so conservatives really need to make it clear to these tech companies that if they don't start behaving fairly, they're in for a ton of hurt. Yeah. There's there's no doubt about it, and, and it is an uphill climb, and it seems uh, kind of a uh, maybe sometimes too much to intimidate intimidating to even try. But they just get more and more powerful by the day. The more mm-hmm. we sit on our hands, so we we really do have to uh, kind of unite. And one of the things we have to do is learn about what they're doing to us. Learn about the manipulation. So the book is the manipulators: Facebook, Google, Twitter, and big tech's war on conservatives. It's a regnery uh, uh, project, and uh, the author is Peter Hassan. Peter, thank you very much for coming on and sharing it with us. I certainly appreciate it. It's uh, it's a very important topic, and I wish you very much uh, uh, success with the book. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Peter Hassan joining us. It's 10.50, so we're going to get our final time out here and come back with one more short segment of celebration of the acquittal of the president, which is a victory for the country. Not for Donald Trump, not for Republicans. It's a victory for the presidency. we got one more segment to go. You want to be a part of it? 
Dial it up now. During the break, we'll get you on uh, on the line. 216-901-0945. Back after this. Yes, indeed. Final segment of the broadcast today. It's 10.54. i got six minutes before I turn it over to Mike Gallagher, who's going to be giving you uh, more analysis of the acquittal yesterday and of the incredible events of this past week. But first, let me share this with you, and I'll get a couple of calls here in a second. But first, the president spoke on his impeachment for the first time this morning during the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, again, the White House says he is going to have a press conference or at least make a statement um, at noon today about the acquittal, but he could not resist getting in a few words about it at the National Prayer Breakfast this morning. Here's the president. As everybody knows, my family, our great country, and your president have been put through a terrible ordeal by some very dishonest and corrupt people. They have done everything possible to destroy us and by so doing, very badly hurt our nation. I think the president's level of troll game is grandmaster. Do you like how he stuck that word in there? He said, our people, our great country, our family, and your president. <laughs> he had to stick the your president. Nancy Pelosi is sitting at the dais where he's speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast, and the president once again reminds her, your president, still your president. They know what they are doing is wrong, but they put themselves far ahead of our great country. Weeks ago and again yesterday, courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude, and strength to do what everyone knows was right. One more clip from the president at the National Prayer Breakfast. I apologize. I'm trying to learn. (laughs) It's not easy. It's not easy. When they impeach you for nothing, uh, then you're supposed to like them. It's not easy, folks. I do my best. I don't know what he was apologizing for there, but I, I, I got, I totally, I do not have the context, but I bet it was about shaking Nancy Pelosi's hand at the State of the Union. That's a hundred percent guess, totally speculative, because I only have this clip provided by Fox. I did not get the context, but I bet he is saying, I apologize. I didn't shake hands. And then that's why I followed up with, but when they impeach you for nothing, I just don't know how to, what to do. I, I don't know how to handle that. I'm doing my best. I That's my guess as to what the context of that last clip was. Uh, a couple of calls here before we're done. Sister Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn. Sister Mary Grace, go right ahead. I just took all the calcium I'm sorry, Sister Mary Grace, can you no, go no, ahead again? I got my teeth. I'm fine. You see what I mean? But I believe you have to have good teeth to be healthy. Okay, I think Sister Mary Grace is talking to somebody else. She doesn't realize I came to her while she was on hold. So I apologize for that, Sister. Thank you. Let me move on to um, Vermilion. Kate, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, the context of that conversation, because I watched the entire thing, was um, they had an author who wrote a book from Harvard on um, talking about God's love and peace and how we need to forgive. And Nancy Pelosi, of course, was sitting on the other side of it. So that oh, was that okay. Was so, so yes, that yes, was yes. his response about forgiving, yeah. and he said, "I, yes. I, I yes. okay, got it, got it." <laughs> that's that's very interesting. Now, I, I thank you for last night. I was 
there. Um, spoke to you for brief for a few. So seconds. glad you introduced yourself. Yes, it was nice yes, to put a face yes. with your voice. It was wonderful. Listen, I want I want to tell you about something really really important because um, there's going to be a program on. I want you especially and your listeners to pay attention to tonight at eight p.m. It's going to be it called it's called Ukraine the final billion. Kate, Kate, your phone's cutting out on me. I didn't hear that. Oh, it's gosh. called Ukraine okay. what? Ukraine it's is all called, I heard. It's Ukraine, the final billion-dollar piece question. And yes, okay. Glenn Beck is making it free on YouTube tonight at 8 p.m. or on his Facebook page or on YouTube. And it's going. he has been contacted since last July by people that released information. They have researched it all this time. He even talked about his program with a Utah congressman. The congressman said, how did you get this information that even Congress can't get? And this is going to be a big release. He's been waiting for the impeachment to be to play this. He's making it free tonight, okay. only tonight. YouTube well, I, and his Facebook. Kate, I appreciate it. I've, I've got a jet here. Thank you very much for the information. Let me get real quick, Dennis in Lakewood. Hi, Dennis. Go ahead. i got 30 seconds. Question. Is Romney's positioning himself to run for vice president for one of these Democratic clowns? Um, I'll tell. I could take that a step further, Dennis. Thanks for the call. I'm not gonna. I'm not convinced he's not gonna run for president against Donald Trump as a Democratic candidate. Uh, they can't find anybody that can beat him. I wouldn't be surprised if he switches to Dems and says, "I'm in the race now," and watch the Democrats rally around him because of what he just did to the president. But we'll see. Thanks so much for the time. Great show today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com